0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, you can turn them on, open them up, open up your overflow app, wherever it is that you consume scripture and uh, open up to John chapter 10. This is the passage that we've been living in as we've been in this series. And it says this in John 10 verse seven, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever listens, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full or life more abundantly. I am the the Good Shepherd, and what we've been focusing on during this series is is some of the things that will get into our lives and and rob and steal from us that abundant life that Jesus promised us. The more that the Lord has promised us, and many times the enemy will just use little schemes, little plans to come in and distract us and deter us from what God has for our life. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're tuned in to the Good Shepherd. We're making sure that we're listening to the right voice, and we're not listening to the voice of thieves and robbers. No, no, no. We're listening to the voice of the good shepherd and we can know his voice and we love that. And today I want to focus on the issue of rejection. I think we've all experienced rejection at some level or, or another. Some of you uh, ex- experienced rejection from a, a parent or maybe a relationship that you were in or maybe from an employer. We've all experienced rejection. If we're not careful, we'll carry that rejection around for the rest of our life. and It will, it will impact our confidence. It will impact the way that we that we operate, that we function. There are certain things that that will allow it to control. We'll, we'll be fearful that, that we'll experience that pain again. So it's, it's important that we can identify the rejection in our life and we can actually get into rejecting rejection the power of rejection in our life and I've seen this for years it just uh, affect people in a deep way whether it was words that was spoken over them or deeds that that were done towards them and, and and it basically puts a lid over the life of people and they can't get beyond that and it keeps them from walking in God's best so I want to help you today I want to help you get over the rejection that you've experienced because we've all experienced rejection at some point and as I, and as I thought about this subject this week I I'm brought back to the story of Joseph. We've been studying the story of Joseph and our family devotionals and and uh, it, since COVID-19 the epidemic has come we have got together with our family and we're you know we're we, we've been doing bible studies every morning and so I decided about I don't know 3 or 4 weeks ago that we would study the life Of Joseph. And if you know the story of Joseph, I'm going to recap it a little bit today. But if you know the story of Joseph, he experienced a lot of rejection in his life. And his story starts in Genesis chapter 37 and Jacob was, you know, Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob and uh, one of the younger sons and his mom, if you know the story of Jacob, his mom was Rachel and Rachel was was the woman that was so precious to Joseph. And so so here he is, here is Joseph and Joseph is a favorite son to his dad. And in fact, he's so favored that he gives him in Genesis 37 this coat of many colors and the brothers were were, were annoyed. He was kind of a little bit spoiled if you will by his dad and then, he, and then he started having dreams. He's like 17 years old. He gets this coat and then he starts experiencing these dreams that the Lord is giving him about his family and about how his family is going to come and they're going to serve him and he's going to like rule over his family and so he doesn't use a lot of wisdom, and he shares it with his family. He shares it with his brothers. He shares it with his parents, and obviously they're very frustrated, and it brings a lot of tension to, between Joseph and his brothers, and so his brothers, it actually says this, that they hated him, that they hated him because of the favor that was on his life. His brothers hated him, and they planned to kill him, so Joseph goes out one day to meet with his brothers, and they had been scheming on how they were going to kill their brother. And here comes Joseph. He's wearing his beautiful coat, and they, they, uh, I believe that they attacked Joseph, and so they're, you know, they're ridiculing him, all these kind of things, so they, they decide that they're going to kill him, and throw him in a pit, and put, put animal blood on this beautiful coat that his father had given him, and they go tell his father that he was attacked by wild animals, but one of the brothers speaks up and says, no, 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 let's not do that, let's not kill him, we don't want to experience the judgment of God, let's instead, let's sell him in, sell him into slavery, so that's what they do, they sell their brother out to slave traders, and Joseph enters into a season of slavery. And as Joseph's in this season, he just serves. He serves with the favor that's on his life, not just the favor that came from his earthly father, but I believe the favor that came from his heavenly father. And Joseph was a man of excellence and just begins to serve. And then God begins to promote him in Potiphar's house. In fact, he gets wrought up. He serves so well. He's such a good steward of the favor on his life that he works his way all the way up to serving directly under Potiphar. And during that time, Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and she sees Joseph's a good-looking guy, Scripture says that, and she's attracted to him. Now, I imagine that Potiphar's wife was probably an attractive woman because he is like the top dog in the nation. And so she tries to lure Joseph in, and Joseph says, no, I will not do this. This is ungodly. And she continually pursues him up to the point to where she accuses Joseph falsely of raping her. And because of this, Joseph is now thrown into prison. So here he is, he works his way up. They throw him into prison, and now he's in prison. And he's serving in prison, and in the prison he did the same thing that he did in the palace. He begins to serve, and he begins to apply the favor of God that's on his life. He begins to, to go above and live above his circumstances. Even though he's in prison, he's serving well, he's serving strong, he's stewarding the favor that's on his life. And these guys come in, the, ki- the king has some people thrown in jail, we're not, we can make some speculation, but, but uh, his, his cupbearer is there. And Joseph, because he has this gift of dreams on his life, is actually able to interpret dreams. So Joseph interprets the dream of the cupbearer, and he is released from prison, and he tells Joseph, I won't forget you. They make this bond. You know, Don't forget me when you get out. You know, get me out of prison, please remember. And it wasn't for another two years that the cupbearer remembered the dream that Joseph had. So finally, he remembers it. Joseph's released out of prison and he moves into Pharaoh's house. Now he's in like the, the top echelon serving in what, what would be equivalent to the White House. And he's serving there. And as he's serving there, he's being promoted, being promoted and being promoted. What is he doing? He's just stewarding the favor on his life. But all throughout, all throughout Joseph's story, we see resistance. We see rejection. We see uh, everything coming against him. And this is what we can learn from that: is when, when we have God's favor on our life, it will often cause people to hate us. People will despise us. Even people that, that, that should be celebrating our lives will reject us. It will cause jealousy to rise up in them. many people will, will despise the dreams that God puts in your heart. And I, I would suggest this, because many times when we look at rejection, we, we tend to kind of put it on the Lord. Lord, why, why aren't I being advanced? Why is this a bad thing? Why, do I, why am I experiencing so much rejection? So oftentimes what we'll do with rejection is we'll say that reject, I'm being rejected because I'm not favored by God. But here we see Joseph who was richly favored by God, yet he's still experiencing rejection. So rejection is more often an indicator of favor than the lack thereof. So it's critical for us to remember that just because I'm experiencing rejection doesn't mean that God doesn't favor me. And so we see this, Joseph lives this way, and he allows this to become, uh, the the staple of his life is really the favor of God. And he gets to the end of his life, and this is the only passage I want to share with you. And you can read the whole story in Genesis, starting in Genesis 27. It says this is in Genesis chapter 50. Now, Joseph gets promoted. And then his dreams come true about his brothers coming and his, his family coming. It's a long, beautiful story about his, his, his dad coming, and he's there, and they're all bowing to Joseph. He had hit, it, hit, his, hit his identity. And his dad ends up dying of old age. It's a powerful moment with him and his sons. And Joseph's there, and the brothers think, oh no, now dad's dead, and he's gonna get us back. He's gonna take us out now. He has the authority to do it. Now that dad's gone, the things that we did to him decades ago, we're going to have to pay for that now. And this is what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So here's Joseph. I mean, he goes through all this pain because of the rejection from his brothers, but he wasn't bitter. He, he was, he was making sure that, that he, he, he wasn't positioning himself as, as someone who's, he's going to make sure that his brothers pay for the sin that they committed. No, no, no. He was like, you know what? I've experienced the favor of God. So I'm going to give you guys some of, some of that favor. I'm going to, I'm going to show you the grace that has been shown to me. So he was, he was such a good steward with the favor and the dream of God. And see, oftentimes, when we look at rejection, first of all, a lot of times we put it on God, which we talked a little bit about that. But what we've got to start seeing is God will use redirection, direction for redirection. We've, come, we've got to come to recognize that what we often feel as rejection is simply redirection. And sometimes that, that happens to us when God says no, because sometimes God does tell us no, and we think God is rejecting me. No, no, no. The reason why God is telling you no is because he has a greater yes for your life. So we've got to recognize that oftentimes when we feel rejection, it's just simply redirection. So what is rejection? Well, let's talk about what, what rejection is not. First of all, rejection is not opposition. Opposition is not rejection. And sometimes we think that just because it's difficult, just because it's hard, I'm being rejected. That is not the case. I experience this a lot. I am an idea machine. I have tons of ideas. I'm a dreamer. And about the time that that idea or that vision leaves my mouth, it's already been envisioned in my heart. I mean it just for me it just works that way. It's the way I'm wired. And so I have ideas every day. Some days multiple ideas. I mean I am just I'm a dream I'm a dream machine. And so I'm just always pumping this stuff out. And some of them aren't great ideas. And some of those ideas need to be opposed. But if I'm not careful and this happens a lot. If I'm not careful, I will experience the opposition towards what I'm saying as rejection. And, and I'll be honest with you, most of the time I filter it as rejection, but it's not, it's just opposition. And some of those things I need to push through the opposition, and sometimes I need to look at the opposition and just say, you know, it's a no, it's a no but I can't be married to my ideas. I can't be married to my mindsets because sometimes they're just, especially for me because I have so many, sometimes they're just not God. And so I need the opposition to know what I need to say yes to because if I said yes to all those things, I, I would probably have died a long time ago from just all the work I would have had to put in uh, to, to achieve those things. So opposition is not rejection. The second thing that, Rejection is not, is rejection from people is not rejection from God. And so oftentimes we will receive rejection from a person. And we say, God, why are you punishing me? This person's rejecting me. And, uh, you know, just because someone, I, I've, I've dealt with people before in the past, and they would say, you know, uh, Why are people rejecting me? And they're they're often just rejecting maybe again back to the idea thing. And so what they would say is, why isn't God opening this door? Why isn't this happening? Why am I experiencing the rejection of people? And I don't always have the answer for that, but I do know this, that just because a person rejects you doesn't mean that God is rejecting you. And you can't take, and listen, I don't know about you, but I am really sick and tired of, of God getting the blame for people. I'm really tired of God getting the blame for people. And so when there's mean people that reject you, that is not God rejecting you. That is fallen, evil humans rejecting you. So rejection from people is not a rejection from God. Another thing about rejection, what rejection is not, is is this, is someone else's blessing is not my rejection. And we do this a lot of times. We see someone get blessed and we feel threatened by that. We feel rejected because maybe it was something I was believing for or maybe they're experiencing success and at a level that I want to experience in so I don't rejoice with them. But really it's a poverty mindset that thinks if God's blessing them, he doesn't have enough to bless me also. So I would say that that is a poverty mindset. I would, I would suggest that it's a very limited view of God's love and his power to assume that because somebody else is experiencing the goodness of God that you can't as well. That is a broken mindset. So someone else's blessing is not your rejection. In fact, I would say that that needs to be something to inspire you to experience more of the goodness of God in your life, to go after those things that God has put in your heart, to pray into those things. And to bless those that are being blessed. Just bless them more, Lord. And so rejoice in in, in what God gives someone else that you're wanting. This is the mandate. This is loving well. And that's difficult. It's very difficult. I want to deal for just a moment on the idea of self-rejection and acceptance. Because a lot of times we talk about self-acceptance. Sometimes we talk about... uh, self-rejection. Really what I'm talking about in self-rejection is sometimes we impose rejection on our own heart. Now let me say this. There are some things in your life you should not accept. You should not accept your sins. You should not accept your shortcomings. You should, you should oppose those things in your life. You should say no to those. Scripture is full of, of mandates to say no to sin, to yes, yes to righteousness. I mean, make good choices. And don't look back at your choices and just say, well, that's just who I am. No, no, no. You need to reject poor mindsets and poor behaviors. That is not who you are. And I would even suggest this on, on weakness. We, we need to recognize our weakness, but not allow them to become a focal point of our life. But we're committing to growing those weaknesses. Well, that's not who I am. That's not my personality. I'm just I'm just weak in that area. We'll grow that area. Don't just don't just look at it and go. Well, it's just that's just what it is. And so I'll just I'll never be a disciplined person. So I'll just won't read my Bible. No, get into it. Grow in it. Learn to fall in love with the Word of God. Don't don't accept those weaknesses in your life. Say no to them. Say no to them. So don't embrace weakness. And I I think there's a movement that says that. Just embrace your weakness and embrace who you are. Don't, because some of those things are are sinful. Some of those things are just areas where you need to depend on the goodness of God and to see his grace make those weaknesses in your life a place of strength for the glory of God. So we don't embrace weakness because our weaknesses don't define our value. They don't divine our value. Um, We have a lot of talk about self-care, self-confidence. I think all those things are important, but sometimes the greatest idol in our life is I, right? And so I would suggest this to you, that self-confidence should not be a priority in the life of a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, self-confidence is not at the top of your priority list. Self-health, yes, but self-confidence, you being so confident and so full of yourself. Listen, we're actually, we're on this journey to go, to go lower. We're, we're going lower. We're going deeper. In fact, Philippians chapter 3 says this to make, to, to, to place no confidence in the flesh. That you would not be self confident. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. You don't want to jump in on the other end of the, the of the spectrum of self deprivation and you know mutilation and all these work. That that is a, it just as equally broken. But are you putting yourself last? Are you putting yourself second? Or is it all about you? So Scripture gives us a lot of a lot of uh, direction. In these things. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says to examine ourselves. Test yourself. Look at yourself. Am I right? Am I right with God? Am I right in my views? Am I right in the way that I respond? So these are these are things that we that we need to challenge in our life, not just accept them as okay. In fact, we don't need to have a high self esteem, we need to have an accurate self-esteem. And this is what scripture calls us to Romans 12, three, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. You've seen American Idol before. Some of those people should not be on their singing, right? They should not have the confidence. They don't, they're not thinking with sober judgment. And so it's important that we would have an accurate self assessment. And then you have this idea. Again, we're talking about a lot of the things that we impose on ourselves. I'm not trying to belittle you and make you feel low. No, no, no. You, you were just, the primary target of your life is to exalt Jesus and, and to increase the atmosphere around you. You should be doing that for other people. You should be instilling confidence to other people, hope in other people, faith in other people, belief in other people, love in other people. This is, this is what Jesus has called us to. And then we get into this thing called comparison. And obviously with social media, everybody in front of their screens, everybody with their selfies, everybody with their filters, all their highlight reels, just an unhealthy comparison. And many of you are dealing with that. You know, you, you look at somebody else's family, you look at somebody else's life, somebody else's income, somebody else's house. It's so easy to do, especially when everybody's lives are in front of us on a screen that we're looking at eight hours a day. Especially right now. And we can get into this trap, this comparison trap, an unhealthy comparison. And what, we do, what do we do with that? We feel rejection. My life is not being affirmed because I don't live in a better house. My life isn't affirmed isn't because I don't do my makeup as good as she does. So we don't, we don't compare our value by the, by the success or by the wins of another person. My value is, I, I'm, I'm glad you're having a good life. I'm glad you're experiencing God's goodness in that way. I want to rejoice for people in that. I don't want to look at that and go, well, my house isn't as nice as their house. It's so easy to get into and it's so unhealthy because we will determine our value through, through the lens of comparison. But there's also a good kind of comparison. You know, if you look throughout the scriptures, you'll see that, that, that Paul actually tells the church, second Corinthians chapter eight, he tells the church, he's like, listen, I want you to be like the Macedonians because they're generous. In other words, compare your generosity to their generosity. And how generous are you? These are the, these are healthy comparisons that we need to make. And Paul often makes statements like he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, follow me, imitate me. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, he says this, we offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So we need to, we need to be living lives, and it's also appropriate, appropriate for us to imitate the lives of people that are living inspirational lives, people that are living lives for God. We need to look at their godliness and go, man, I'm just not there yet, but I want to be, so I'm going after it. That is totally healthy. It's, in fact, it's modeled, and it's spoken about in Scripture for us to do that. So we need to be inspired when others do well, not intimidated. We need to be inspired when others do well, not intimidated. So don't get intimidated. Don't be caught up in this unhealthy comparison. No, no, no. Find a proper ground of comparison to look at someone and say, you know what? That's good. I should be doing that in my life. So. If we're not careful, these things will just eat at us and we'll just feel self defeated, self rejected, and we'll just live in this unrealistic, unattainable mindset that just is just depressing. So I, I want to affirm you today. We've been talking about rejection. I want to affirm you. I want to hug you in. I, I miss hugs right now, right? I, I want to bring you in to three points of affirmation. The first is this, this is, this is, listen, this is where your confidence comes from. It doesn't come from the rejection of people. And this is, this is where Joseph was, right? He's like, God used it. God took it. God used it. You meant it for bad. God meant it for good. God turned it all around. He set it all up. He found his affirmation in the Lord. The first is this, is adoption, adoption. Now, we talk about adoption, we're obviously talking about the spirit of adoption. This is in the book of Romans. It's in Galatians. I want to read from Ephesians in just a minute. But the idea of adoption is this, is that I pick someone to be mine. I mean, there is, there is so much acceptance, and I love the idea that's laid out through, through Scripture about adoption, that God looked at us in our state, in our messy state. He looked at us, and he said, I want you. I mean, how much acceptance is in that, that God, a holy God, would want me? We, we have um, some kids in our, our family that's adopted, not, our, not our, our personal family, but our extended family, and what I've talked to my brother about who has four adopted children, is, is that they, they tell us that when you actually adopt, that it's more legally binding than your actual birth children. So there's something on adoption that says, hey, they're not just living in my house. I actually have full-blown rights to them. And so when we belong to God, when he adopted us, when he brought us into his family, it's legally binding in the courts of heaven that he says, I am yours. I'm going to take good care of you. I affirm you. I love you. I wanted you. And I paid a high price to have you. Ephesians chapter 1, love this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of what I did. No, because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us even before he made the world. Even before he got into creation, he chose us, he loved us in Christ to be holy and without fault before his eyes. God decided in advance, he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and I love that right there. This is what He wanted to do. Do we have that? And it gave him great pleasure. It's what he wanted to do. It wasn't his cosmic obligation. He didn't have to do it, but he said, I want you. I choose you. I pick you because I want to. It brings me great pleasure. It brings me joy. And some of you feel like that God just kind of took you. God just, he just kind of accepted me. Listen, you're more than accepted by God. So know who you are by knowing whose you are. Where do you find your value? I find my value in who I am. And who I am is one who belongs to God. I'm the beloved of God. Psalm 94, 14, love this. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never reject forsake his inheritance. He'll never forsake you. He'll never reject you. He will not reject his people. You are his inheritance. Jesus paid a high price to have you. You're adopted. You're accepted. And the second thing is this, is you're adored. The God does, doesn't just tolerate you. He's actually really in love with you. And I love James one eighteen staple verse right here. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, out of all the beautiful things that God created above the Niagara Falls, above the, the Grand Canyon, above all the wonders of the world, above you know, all the galaxies and all that, out of all of his creation, we have become his most prized possession. We have become his prized possession. We think about your children. You think I, they're, they're my most prized possession. My greatest accomplishment is my kids. And this is the way the father looks at you. This is the way Jesus looks at you. You are adored. See, you're more than accepted by God. You're exceptional to God. You are more than accepted by God. You're exceptional to God. You're His, and He loves you, and He's excited to have you. You're the you're the joy of His heart. You're adored, adored by God. You're adored by God. So we're adopted, we're adored, adored, and we're appointed. God picks us to do things. It's phenomenal that God would pick me. I mean, I, when I look at my life when I was 18 years old, I wasn't I didn't have a lot of self-value, but God looked at me and he said, "You know what? I want you to do this." <laughs> me? I'd never accomplished anything in my life. God says, I pick you, and I pick you for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. One translation says, we are God's poetic masterpiece, which is more true to the Greek. We are God's poetic masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Long ago. Listen, you are appointed, and you are appointed, anointed. And you're appointed and you're anointed to do something that I'm not appointed and anointed to do. It's what God has called you to do. See, I can never do, as your pastor, I can never do what you're supposed to do. I can't serve God for you. I can't fulfill God's destiny for you. Only you can do that for you. Only you can say yes to God for you. I can't say yes to God for you. Only you can do that. And this is, this is why you can't envy the calling that somebody else has because there's things that only you can do. There's things that you can do that I can't do because God didn't build me for it. He built you for it. And this is also the same reason why you can't complain about what others are doing or the way that they're doing because God didn't call you to do what they're doing and you're not responsible. For. I want to relieve you from the responsibility of feeling like it's your job to decide what other people are supposed to do. I just want to release you from that. Stay in your lane. Stay focused. I was thinking when this whole COVID thing started, we had, we bought a Star Wars puzzle and we spent, I don't know, about a week on it. And we started uh, working on this puzzle. And, you know, in the beginning, it's really difficult. You're searching for edges and you're placing things in the same color and all these type of things. And we're, we're building this puzzle. And then we looked on Instagram and somebody else had another puzzle. And I don't, I don't compare, I don't look at my, my puzzle and go, well, why does it look, look like their puzzle? Well, they, they have a different model. They have a, a different kind of puzzle. And the other thing is, is their puzzle's in a different stage than ours is. They, they did the wise thing, right? They did all the rim first. For some reason, we didn't this time. And so I'm not comparing my puzzle. They're doing their puzzle. I'm doing my puzzle. I'm just making sure that all the, the, the parts fit. I'm only responsible for my puzzle. They can't get in my house right now and work on my puzzle. You can't get in their house right now and work on their puzzle. Just work on your puzzle. Just do what you need to do. Do what you're called to do. And you're at, also, you're at different stages of your puzzle. They may have started theirs two weeks before you did yours. They may, be, they may have the capacity to develop eight hours a day to it, and you only have an hour a day. So don't compare your process to somebody else's process. You're where you're at. You're where you're at, and God has appointed you for that. So stay there. We had a a moment uh, that happened to us. You know, church planting is, is, is really difficult. In fact, most church plants fail within the first year. And so here we are. You know, we're like seven years into this thing. And it's been crazy different than we expected it to be. People, well, is it what you expected it to be? No, totally, but that's not a bad thing because some some ways that we expected it to be, it it didn't fulfill that tank, but other ways have been so much more fulfilling. And so I I can look back over the years and say, well, the disappointment, like, oh, man, we didn't hit 100 people till like four years in, maybe even longer. And I just remember thinking, oh, if we could just have 100 people, like I would just be okay with that. And uh, I just, you know, you, you see all these models and, you know, people posting on Instagram. I, I remember one Easter, I mean, even even embarrassed to say it, we had our our first Easter Sunday morning service. And I remember that the turnout was just terrible. And I remember sitting in my car, looking at people's Instagram from other churches, talking about how many salvations. And I did not get, I know, I know, I know, it's so wrong. I was not rejoicing in their salvations. I was just looking at my puzzle. And I remember just being so frustrated. It's like, God, why hasn't it happened? Why why can't I be like Stephen Furtick and just preach and my videos get shared and then we have a thousand people next week? You know, why doesn't it work like that? It's worked for other people. Why didn't it work like that for me? But you know what? That's not my lane. That's not what God's called me to do. And I have to remind myself of this often. And so several weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, we had community group at our house and Leslie and I are sitting there. We're talking, probably watching TV or something. And Leslie gets a text, and it's from someone that was at group that night. And she reads this text, and they just said, "We're so glad that we found Overflow." And I just remember sitting there with Leslie that night, and just my eyes starting to get a little misty, you know, just being so moved that that we could. Be with the people that God has called us to be with. Just being so moved. And I don't remember if it was Leslie or myself, but one of us said, we just love, we just love what we get to do. We love that we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do. It doesn't look like what we thought it would look like, but it's exactly where God has us. And just there's such a great contentment with that if we can just realize that, man, I am appointed to love God. I'm appointed to obey whatever God has put in my heart, and that's just what I'm called to do. And I've got to be good with that. And what I found in those moments, those are the most fulfilling moments. Those are the most fulfilling moments. I want to share one more passage. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. In a wealthy home, Some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheaper ones are just for everyday use. They're like paper plates. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master. To use you for every good work. And I love that so much. That this appointing that God has put on my life, when He picked me, when He adopted me, when He brought me in, when He accepted me, when He pulled me in, and He gave me an assignment, it makes me wanna be holy. It makes me wanna be useful. It makes me wanna get rid of the junk in my life. It makes me wanna deal with some of the rejection that I've been carrying. If you will keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. I was thinking this morning about a moment that I had. Gosh, it's probably been close to twenty years ago, and it was is it, after the the most rejected I've ever felt in my life. And I was alone, and I was in my living room, and I was. I, I remember exactly where I was at, and I was. Sitting on the love seat, and I had my feet propped up on the love seat. And I'd had, during this season, I had a lot of encounters with the Lord, and it really marked me. My life was totally transformed during this season. And I remember telling the Lord that night, I said, Lord, I just feel so rejected. I just feel so, bro, this person wounded me. I feel so rejected. And the Lord told me this. He said, Josh, I understand. I understand. And he spoke to me and he said this. People reject me every single day. You know, nobody knows rejection like Jesus. Nobody's experienced rejection like Jesus. Nobody has been rejected as many times as Jesus Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. Jesus, although full of life, Jesus had his heart broken many times. Rejection. Acquainted, this is what it says, with the deepest grief. I want to revisit Hebrews chapter 4. because we can find such peace and such comfort in this through our rejection. It says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then... Because Jesus is acquainted with the troubled heart. Because Jesus is acquainted with the things that we struggle with. Because Jesus is acquainted with grief. Because Jesus was acquainted with rejection. Let's then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us.